You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those human beings who lived well and who died well and through their efforts in life bring all that is good and true and beautiful to us through these ancestral lines. I call out to these people who died well to create this lineage, this rich and robust lineage that can help each one of us, each one of us here, the living, to do what we are doing here in a better way so that we can learn from those who have gone before us. We can understand why it is best to not do whatever that thing is that human beings do in that way. And instead to use our time here to innovate, to understand, to create, to discover how to do things differently, to do things in a way that really will be good for all living things. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today and give us the courage to do what needs to be done, even if it requires that we make sacrifices in our time, that we do things in a way that's not precisely exactly all that we wish we had or could do but that we're doing it this way so that things can be better for those who are coming. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to help us to do what is needed so there is a world here that is rich and robust and beautiful for the next seven generations. And so that those people who are here seven generations from now are thinking about the seven generations to come after them. May we change the values of those who are living so that we live for the whole system of life. And so with these human ancestors gathered around, I call out beyond that circle of humans to those non-human ancestors, to those aspects of life that dreamt, that are part of the dreaming and dreamt of humans themselves. I call out to those ancestors who live here with us in all these many forms. And I give great gratitude to your diversity. And I ask you to help us to see how to be here in form in a good way with each other, to embrace the diversity of the humans around that we might learn and become those people that can bring our medicine to bear in the world in our lifetime. So with this amazing help from these ancestors all around us, I give great, great gratitude and turn our awareness now from wherever our consciousness is, drawing it down into our head and from our head into our heart and from our heart down into our belly and from our belly, let us reach down to the earth, the physical being, the planet, the home, the place of all that we love. And we give thanks to the earth. We give thanks for this place, for this journey that we each walk. We give thanks for the great beauty around us. We give thanks for the challenges that grow us into the men and the women that we came here to be. We give great, great gratitude to the earth and her dreaming and the generosity in that dream that allows us to change ourselves, to change our actions and our thoughts, our words, allows us to change as long as we are breathing. We give great gratitude to the earth and the generosity of her dreaming, to the beauty, and we take a moment and just give awe for the wonder and the miracle of life. And with that awe filling our hearts and our gratitude pouring out, we move our energy down through all the layers of the earth, giving thanks as we go until we reach the very center of the earth, to this place in the center of the earth that is dark, still, silent, that is about that energy before it becomes all the many things that it is here abundant on the face of the earth. We go to the center of the earth to go to the energy before that. That energy that restores and rejuvenates and replenishes all things. We connect into this energy dark and still and quiet and cool 
when we call out to this energy to draw it up, up through all the layers of the earth and into our bodies and into our day, into these proceedings. We draw these energies up through all the layers of the earth. We draw them into ourselves to be replenished, to be nourished, to be restored and brought once again to the task at hand, the living of our own soul's purpose. And so we draw on this earth energy and ground ourselves choose to be grounded in this day sending our energy all the way down to the center of the earth and connecting our center to the earth center and choosing to move through life in that way so that we can know where we stand and what we stand for and then we can build a place that we can call home a home that is not necessarily tied to a specific location or family but a sense of home that goes with us a sense of home that inspires home in others. A sense of home that perhaps even gives shelter to those who have not yet found home for themselves. We ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand not only home, but a sense of connection and belonging. And to help us to do this thing called living here together in a way that we are open not only to those that are like us, who are comfortable with us, and we are comfortable with them, but open to those who seem different than we are, that what we might be provoked and inspired and irritated into becoming the men and women we have really come here to be. And so we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to really understand connection within ourselves, with others, with the environment, with the invisible world with all things and through that we understand connection and interconnection and ultimately the oneness of all things and may we take our right relationship with ourselves from that oneness from that deep resonating truth not from all the false stories that we carry may we take our right relationship with ourselves from that oneness And let us draw the energy up now, the energy of the earth up all the way from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds and continue this connection that we are drawing between heaven and earth. And we send our energy up, out through the beautiful sky, whatever it holds for you, day or night, weather or no weather. And we draw our energy up and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, out through all the heavenly bodies and the great mysteries of our universe, all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, just name it, know it, know it in you and you in it. And we draw this energy down, drawing down into ourselves, into our proceedings, into this day. We draw down the energy of blessing, the inherent essence energy of blessing. We draw it into ourselves and offer it. We draw down the energy of protection, the energy of commitment and devotion and generosity. We draw these energies into ourselves and into our day. We call in that energy that illuminates and inspires. And we draw these energies down, sending them through ourselves, our head, our heart, our belly, all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, with our intention, with our heart, we become this place that heaven and earth unite, earth and sky become one. These two great legendary lovers come together in this big love energy, and we ask that energy to awaken the true spirit of our hearts. And we let the heart be what it is unique among all the other chakras all over the body, but the heart that holds this crucible of transformation that can draw up the fiery passions of our belly and draw down the crystal clarity of our mind and bring them together in a way that they dance. That they dance together in this dynamic tension that gives birth to this third and most sacred thing, your memory of why you are here. And may you find courage in that human heart to do something today, large or small, to bring those gifts that you are here to bring into the world. So we give great gratitude to all the spirit help around us and within us. May what needs to be said here today be said. May what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So give great gratitude to all the layers, all the concentric circles of spirit help around us. And I want to give special thanks to the people who are able to keep Help me to keep Why Shamanism Now on the air. I give thanks to Ken at CoCreatorNetwork.com. And I give thanks to Cassetta, Ivo, Caitlin, 
Kevin, Roxanne, Valerie, Jose, and Christine, and all of the other listeners who've been able to donate financially to the show. We had so many shows recorded because of all the teaching and traveling um, that I got behind in giving gratitude to everyone. But I am deeply grateful to all of you, your support of the show. Um, And I simply ask for those of you that are new to the show to understand that this show is listener supported. It has only existed for these many years because listeners are able and willing to give to the show to help it to grow. So if this show is meaningful to you in any way, and by that I mean it moves you in the heart, whether it moves you in alignment or in distraction, in frustration, in irritation, it doesn't really matter because it means you've been moved in the heart. And if that happens, I ask you to do something to act on that. Let the motivation of the heart move you into action and do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. If you can donate to the show, you can go to the show website, which is whyshamanismnow.com. It's not on iTunes. You can link to it through my website, but it's its own website, whyshamanismnow.com, which allows you to access all the archives, to listen to them there, to stream them there, or to download them. And there is a support button there. You can click on that and donate any amount, large or small. Um, All of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And I'm deeply grateful for those of you who can donate financially. And the listeners who cannot are also deeply grateful to you. I get emails all the time from people asking me to thank you for keeping these shows out there so that they have access to them. And I ask only that you use them that you all use these shows to change the conditions of your life so that your life becomes an abundant and joyful expression of life on earth. So do something with the show, large or small. Share it in your journey circles. uh, Begin to engage with the teachings. Send me questions as you engage with the teachings about what happens. The last series that we did, there were challenges. There were many challenges offered. Do a challenge. Do a 30-day challenge. See what can change in your life. The whole point of the show is the practical application of shamanic skills, shamanic ideas, shamanic life in a contemporary world. And I ask you to um, use it. Do it. Share it. Do something to help the show to grow. And for that, I am deeply, deeply grateful. We are live today. And if you have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, Or you can simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I will read your um, email on the air if I can or respond to it in some way. Um, often, I respond to people's emails with shows. A lot of times people ask me big, complicated questions, and they have actually very simple answers. But more often, people ask very simple questions, or what they think is a simple question, which has a very big answer. And often, those uh, turn into shows. So right now, we're in the beginning of a series, another series that I'm doing exploring kind of the basics of shamanic practice. And I think part of the reason the basics of a shamanic practice escape people is that they don't feel very basic compared to contemporary life. But I think um, through the series on ways of understanding mental illness, I think we've pretty much clarified the fact, if we hadn't done so already, that there's a whole lot about contemporary life that is actually creating mental illness (laughs) and that contemporary life isn't really all it's – written up to be and that if we want to live in a way that is engaged with the world and good for other living things we may need to question the fundamental beliefs and values in a contemporary western life so as i said uh this week is part two in a series on the basics of creating a shamanic practice so this series is for those who are or who are considering living in their living their lives as an expression of their shamanic experience shamanic teachings relationships with the invisible world and relationships with the non-human world around them and so last week we talked about building a foundation for shamanic practice And that, um, as with any foundation, regardless of its shape, it needs cornerstones. And this is an idea that spirit shows me again and again while I'm doing soul retrieval work for others. And in that context, they're showing me um, that often soul loss undermines a person's natural ability um, to, to grow essentially a firm foundation that 
their engaged life is going to stand on and that the loss of a soul part can often um, keep an entire cornerstone or or some aspect of the foundation from developing um, until the part comes back. Um, so with that, though, is the understanding then that our healing and our soul retrieval and integration may need to be followed by tending to our foundation and the quality of our cornerstones. And so my point last week was that a shamanic practice needs to be built on a firm foundation with good, solid cornerstones. And so many of you who are forging ahead in your shamanic practice may need to double back and actually explore your foundation. And so one cornerstone of your foundation is the physical cornerstone, which is about our practices and how we live our life and understanding that how we live our life is actually made up of the choices that we're making, not how we think we're living our life, but the choices that are leading to the actions and the beliefs that are behind all of that. That's, that's our practice. That is what we are doing. So the physical cornerstone is about a need for balance at the very foundation of our physical life. So it's about this, this dynamic of sturdiness and flexibility in this physical cornerstone and how um, that is really maintained by the health of our energy body. In other words, you don't want to be fooled into believing that all there is out there is what you perceive by your five senses. That's far too solid. Your physical cornerstone will be um, so rigid that it will crack under the stress of real life. You don't want that cornerstone to be too rigid. At the same time, you don't want your physical cornerstone to crumble to dust just because you have no mastery of day-to-day life in the physical world. You know, regardless of what time we're born into and where we're born into, there is choice inherent in that. And we need to master day-to-day life if we're going to then move on to higher things. And so... The physical cornerstone is about how a healthy and agile energy body is the go-between between the cold hard facts of life and becoming too rigid and then the fact that the real energy is always behind what's apparent and the whole mystery and unknown in that. And so we need the energy body then helps us to navigate between those two um, what appear to be opposites when they're not really. It helps us create a cornerstone that has enough flexibility to go with the earthquakes in life, but the sturdiness to support us. And then the heart cornerstone, which is the second cornerstone, is the foundation of a healthy emotional life. That um, an emotional life that supports and not distorts your experiences, be they everyday life experiences, and in particular, altered state experiences, which is, of course, at the core of a shamanic life. So a heart cornerstone requires a sound working heart, all four chambers of the heart with all of their powers being accessed and expressed. And there are numerous shows about the shaman's heart and the courageous heart and classes about that. But the point is, in terms of the basics of a shamanic practice, if your heart is protected and shut down, overprotected and shut down, you can't do it. You're, you're not actually living um, a, a, a life from a firm foundation. It's distorted by the lack of a healthy, vital heart cornerstone. So we have to value um, the expression of the heart itself. We have to value self-reflection and that humility that it takes to review our actions in the day. And where we find that the integrity and impeccability that we imagine could happen wasn't present either in ourselves or in others, that we need to have the skills to track in ourselves what needs to be transformed and how to get to the source of that. And this is, of course, the clearing process I talk about incessantly. And so here in this heart cornerstone, then, we bring the potential we need to be able to bring the potential for intimacy into every relationship because our relationships with our helping spirits, if they're truly shamanic relationships, are relationships of great intimacy. And so what that means then is every day we are stepping up to the enormous challenge, the enormous courage that it takes to be someone who loves. Who loves yourself, who loves the world, 
who loves other people, which of course means our hearts will be broken continuously, right? Because humans are a mess, but there you go. So then the third cornerstone is the mind cornerstone. And in terms of, in the context of shamanic practice, this requires that you understand the world around you and yourself in it properly. So the most fundamental disruptor in someone's mind cornerstone is someone who has such a small belief about how the world works and themselves in it that life keeps happening and confusing them because it, life is happening completely outside of this tiny system of beliefs that they have. This is very, very common. People's little stories running inside this tiny little world they believe is all of reality and then reality happens and it's always outside of that and it confuses the shit out of them. And so in that, that mind cornerstone, that foundation of how we view the world and ourself in it, which of course ties back to stories and cosmology, which is a big theme in many, many shows. These are the things that either strengthen, keep flexible, or utterly disrupt or rot out the mind cornerstone. So with, for, so for people that want to live a shamanic practice, educate yourself about shamanic people in the world and how they see themselves in it. You'll start seeing the themes. It's why I wrote the encyclopedia in the way that I did. There, there are many shamanic peoples the encyclopedia could, be, could have explored more deeply. But my point in the encyclopedia was to compare them and contrast them so that, so that we, in reading the encyclopedia, <laughs> um, I always laugh thinking of people reading an encyclopedia. But the point is you could read about the different shamanic peoples in the encyclopedia and see these themes that repeat through the lives of shamanic peoples. And these, if we educate ourselves about that and see it, compared and contrasted to how we see ourselves in the world, we start to understand how to think about things differently and in a way that can really support um, a healthy emotional and spiritual and physical life in the world versus having the way we think about things be the fundamental problem in our health and well-being. So we also need to educate ourselves with skills that give us the ability to identify an outmoded belief, a belief that we carry because beliefs run our lives, right? The belief that we carry that is outmoded and then to actually throw that belief out when, when we decide that it's been rendered obsolete by our growth or our experience or our education. So part of this foundation then of the mind cornerstone, if, if we're talking about shamanic practice, which we are, uh, is remembering that the trickster made this world. So don't be fooled. Things are rarely what they seem. The real energies are behind the scenes and the way to engage with them is from a place of balance. And so these ideas people have about being able to control, if I can't control it, I can deny it. If I can't uh, solve it that way, I'm just going to cut and run. I mean, this is not how to function in the world that we can't just say, well, I'm afraid of the unknown. You're in relationship with the unknown if you're alive. And this is what trickster helps us do is to be in relationship with forces that are utterly out of our control to be caught in the chaos and find how to ride that wave. And so this is all an aspect of a healthy mind cornerstone in the foundation of our life. Um, and then finally, there's the spirit cornerstone, which requires that we as individuals, humans, so we're physical and spiritual, that we cultivate right relationship with spirit, but spirit in the big sense and spirit personally in the little sense. And this requires first that we understand spirit differently. For most of us, we need to go beyond the current religious contexts and definitions and arguments about who's right that we have been handed down. At this time on the planet, we need to be willing to explore beyond that territory. And I'm not saying that territory is wrong or, should, or it should be thrown out, baby and bathwater. I'm just saying, as a shamanic practitioner, if you want a really good cornerstone, spiritual cornerstone that is a foundation of your life, you need to understand that any system worth believing in can tolerate your questions. Any questions a human being can throw at it. So question, explore, 
go beyond the limitations of that territory and come to understand how big the world of spirit really is. And since we're talking about shamanic practice, this will require the basic foundation for a shamanic practice requires that you are willing to walk the very, very lonely path, the willingness to become one as in singular so that you can experience the highest power as shamanic people understand it that is utterly unnameable and that we can only know it through our experience of it and that experience is an experience of oneness with it and that when we begin to tap this energy which we can do through our shamanic practice we begin to understand uh, and strengthen the spirit cornerstone that is the foundation of our life. And all of these things, which was last week's show, these are basics. These are, these are the basic foundations needed to support a shamanic practice. So shamanic practice in the context of this series is about choosing to live a spiritually engaged life as an ordinary life. To normalize your journeying. To normalize your work at your altar to be able to share it and speak about it as if it's obvious why wouldn't people be doing this and to normalize offerings for example so when you go out to have a drink with friends and celebrate life that you dip your fingers in your drink and you flick the first drop off to the spirits of the land maybe the next drop to your ancestors And maybe a third drop to whatever helping spirit you think really showed up for you in that day. And that you do this publicly and openly. And you look at your friends as if they're fools for not doing it with you. This is normalizing your shamanic practice. So when we have a foundation to our shamanic practice, well, when we have a foundation to our life, a firm foundation, then we can be grounded. And then we can make the effort to create within ourselves the ability to be grounded as a natural state of being. And when we do that, then we know where we stand. Now, for some people, making being grounded as a natural state of your being is more challenging than others because of who you are, what gifts you bring into the world, how your sensitivities move in your life. But all of that is just the variety of humanity, but all humans need to be grounded, especially if we're talking about igniting the ecstatic heart, which is, of course, our topic today. How do we ignite the ecstatic heart? Right? It requires that we are grounded. So when we know where we stand, we know what we are living for, and then we know what's worth dying for. And when we know these things, truly, that they are common in the thoughts that pass through our mind in the day. That's what I mean by when we know these things, then we begin to become interesting to our heart. So there's a poem by David White I wanted to work with a little bit today. And it begins, well actually it doesn't begin, in the middle of the poem it goes like this. I want to know if you can look back with firm eyes and say, this is where I stand. So this is what I mean by giving your shamanic practice a foundation. You need to be able to look back with firm eyes and say, this is where I stand. And the poem continues. I want to know if you know how to melt into the fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequences of love and the bitter, unwanted passion of your sure defeat. I have been told in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. Oh yes, I have been told in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. So this piece begins, I want to know if you know where you stand. So it begins with living as grounded humans. But if it is only that, if we're only becoming grounded and knowing where we stand, then we become positional and righteous. We become fundamentalists about our beliefs 
and our way. And anyone can become a fundamentalist. So fundamental, fundamentalism is not the path of heart. I don't care how fiery and passionate those arguments are. If they are fundamental arguments, they are simply too rigid. The heart is much too wild for the relentless sameness of fundamental living. I want to know if you can look back with firm eyes and say, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into the fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. If we melt without foundation, our power will be used by others without our intention. If we allow ourselves to be swayed by the fire of charismatic leaders or the passionate call to be light workers and battle the forces of darkness, we will be used. And more importantly, our heart will be used. Our beautiful human heart, wired for ecstasy, carrying our heart's memory, will be used. Will be used for other visions, other dreams, other stories, other than your own. And in that use, there is betrayal. There is you betraying your heart. All that is the best of us will be used and we'll, we will be the ones <clears throat> who betray our own hearts. So if we melt without foundation, if we do not take the time to create foundation and groundedness in our lives and we melt in our desire to be in that state of ecstasy, we will be used because we have not grounded ourselves and waited Waited to feel our own fire. Waited to feel our own passion and our own charisma. Every single human has charisma when they are on fire with their own passion for their own soul's purpose. I have watched people talking to me about things that mean nothing to me. But they mean something to that person. To that person, it is why they are alive. And as they talk about this thing, they are so sexy, so charismatic, so compelling. Because they speak from their own passion. Not obsession, but passion for their own fire. That which burns in the center of their own longing. Everyone is sexy there. We cannot be afraid of that fierce heat of living. We cannot be afraid of the consequences of love. Or we will bore our own hearts to death. So how do you ignite the ecstatic heart? That heart that knows the consequences of love only too well and loves nonetheless. How do you ignite that ecstatic heart? You choose to live in its truth every day. Not the small T truth of your stories, of your life, and why you can't do this and can't do that, and who, whether you're worthy of love and blah, blah, blah. Not the small T stories of your life, but the big T truth of your ecstatic heart. Do you even know you have an ecstatic heart? You're wondering what I mean by that? I know you have an ecstatic heart. And I know this because you are human. It's a given. You are wired in your nervous system for ecstasies from birth. Your capacity for alternate states is your nature. This is what your heart seeks. This is here at the deep center of your longing is the knowing that through these paths of ecstasy, your heart can come alive with your memory of why you are here. So if you never allow ecstasy, if you never allow your heart's ecstasy, it's hard to know. It's hard to bring that memory to the surface. 
to have it emerge out of the damp blanket of the stories, all the little stories, all the little truths you tell yourself. The ecstatic heart is simply waiting for you to fall into that fire, that fierce fire, and burn away all that crap, all those stories of why you can't and why you aren't, just like all that junk you've got stored in your apartment or in your garage or in your basement. It's the clutter. I want to know if you know how to melt into the fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequences of love. That's your ecstatic heart trying to talk to you. So I know you have an ecstatic heart because you're human. At least I assume it's humans that are listening to this podcast. So why wouldn't you know that you have an ecstatic heart? Because without grounding and foundation, the heart can get hijacked. And this is critically important to understand if you are entering into shamanic practice. Because shamanic practice moves you out of the everyday supposed safety of operation here in the physical world, in the middle world, and it moves you out into alternate states where your capacity to interpret those altered states is essential. And if your heart is hijacked, your capacity to interpret those altered states accurately is kaput. So why wouldn't you know that you have an ecstatic heart? Because without your grounding and a good solid foundation, your heart can get hijacked. Now, there's a lot of practitioners that argue with me that if the heart is hijacked, it's not really the heart. And that's not my experience, not in my own life, but it's not my experience with people. That the heart is designed to be on fire. The heart is wild. The heart wants ecstatic states. The heart wants to fall in love. The heart wants to fall in love with your life. It wants to fall in love with why you are here. It wants to know the longing of your soul and the expression of what your soul has come into this body to do. Why have you chosen to be a human? Why do you need a human heart and all that it is designed to do? The great power of love that it can move into the world. Why? It is so exciting to the heart. The heart wants to be on fire. And so if you are not grounded, you don't know know why you're here, you don't know what's worth living for, so you don't know what's worth dying for, you're boring to your heart. And if you're boring to your heart, your heart's going to wander off and look for a better story, a better dream, a better vision. And this is how the heart gets hijacked. When we are ungrounded and do not have a firm foundation, the heart can get caught up in other people's dreams and other people's stories. And it is the heart that gets hijacked. And it is all of the intuition and the truth and the deep meaning that comes from the heart that now starts communicating to us from a distorted place. And this is a very confusing place to live in because it has an ecstatic nature to it. It has an excitement because you're caught up in a big dream or a big vision. But the dream or vision is false to you. And that's the problem. And now most of us have experienced this because most of us simply were not able because of the very nature of puberty and our early teenage years to manage to stay grounded. And we're filled with dreams and sorrows and fantasies and nightmares and lots of stuff is going on at that time. And our heart can easily get hijacked at that time. One of the most common, there's two of the most common. So the, the happy one is the person who believes they found their soulmate. And goes on and on and on about it. And finally, all of the actual friends of this person meet the soulmate and they're all horrified because the person is hideous. 
and not the person's soulmate. And nobody knows how to tell the person that it's not their soulmate because they're so excited that it is. And so what's happened is the person who's hideous has played into the story that your friend has running, that their heart wants to live, has played into that story of the perfect soulmate and is manipulating that story, able to play that role just good enough to get that person's heart hijacked into this other reality that's actually happening. And that's why the friends can see that it's false, but the person can't because their heart is hijacked into it. The other version, the sad version, is the person that gets hijacked by depression or despair and can't see all that is good and beautiful in their life. That is another way of the heart getting hijacked, getting hijacked by the what's not working story, by the this isn't worth it, by the pain. And in that is unable to look at the day and give gratitude, is unable to see all that is beautiful in life. It's all always here, the pain and the beauty. The question is what you choose to look at. And what we look at has a lot to do with where our heart is. And if we aren't, don't have foundation and aren't grounded, then our heart can get hijacked. So this becomes very serious when we start talking about human beings and how uh, grown-up human beings. We all move out of puberty now <laughs> and out of the chaos of that time in our life. But move on into when we're supposedly adults. And so this can get very serious as people are adults and they are still allowing their heart to be hijacked by stories. So there's always the – there's that person that you know who will throw you under the bus in a heartbeat if they think it will get that love they're still trying to get from their mother and that inability in their adult life to recognize their mother is simply who she is. She has her strengths. She has her limitations, and it is the job of an adult child to see their parents for who they are in a balanced way and move on with their lives. So that's one example. Another example is the kind of adult who has a story running, projecting the story onto others, and then blaming other people for what they are supposedly doing, which the person is actually doing themselves, and damaging a whole bunch of adult relationships through this behavior without tracking reality here, without seeing that all the people they loved are being damaged by their behavior, that they're the common denominator. So that's called what's what I call looking at your wake, I'm recognizing, wait a minute, I am the, the disruptor here in this field. Everyone I love is hurt by me right now. Perhaps I am the problem. Perhaps I am not seeing things correctly. So these are ways that we can allow our heart to be hijacked. In other words, you can hijack your own heart by le- leaving your heart prey to all of these unresolved stories of your childhood. And allowing that to drive your adult behavior. Now, your heart can also be hijacked by the stories and dreams of others. And this, of course, can be really tricky in long-term intimate relationships. As our dreams are woven in with the dream of our partner. and, And both people need to really track whether or not it's truly their dream or whether they have now been hijacked by the other person's dream. It's very tricky in long-term relationships. And if we are not grounded and do not have a solid foundation in our life, we can't figure it out without help. Thus, the importance of those practices. So the important thing here is ultimately... The fact that allowing your heart to be hijacked, whether you're hijacking it with your little bullshit stories or you're allowing it to be hijacked by others, it is a deep betrayal of the internal trust between you and your heart. This is very, very important to understand if you're starting to engage in altered states, which you're doing if you're a shamanic practitioner. Because now you've got even more versions of reality to misinterpret and allow your heart to get hijacked by. So first, 
Each one of us has to personally choose to be grounded as a value for how we live life. And then once we choose to be grounded and we are aligned with a firm foundation and where we stand in life and we stand somewhere that is good, moral, and ethical, then we can align our hearts with that and feel the alignment of our hearts. When we can do that, then we can melt. Then we can begin to melt toward the center of our own longing. And the soul's longing for expression is why it is here. And so this whole relationship to what is my soul's purpose, why am I here, what are my gifts, this all has to do with exactly what I'm talking about today with igniting your ecstatic heart. From that grounded place can come the melting, the melting towards the center of your longing because it is that longing, that soul's longing that we want to express because it's why we are here. So this truth then of why we are here, this melting, turning to the center of your longing, this soul's longing for why it's here, all of this, this is the truth that ignites the ecstatic heart. This is the capital T truth. Why your soul is here. It is your longing that takes you there, but you have to kind of fall into it and be annihilated by it. To rise out of it. Very, very Taoistic. To rise out of it. Phoenix. Out of the ashes. With that soul's expression and the passion and the desire that comes with that. So it's this truth that ignites the ecstatic heart, this dynamic tension between this consuming fire of your longing and the passionate desire to express what you become there. This is the heart's memory. Tell the Wuchul talk about it. The heart's memory, to awaken the heart's memory of why it is here. So what do you do if you're listening and realize you've utterly messed up this relationship with your heart? It doesn't trust you and you don't trust it and it's just a big cluster. So this is when, for me, I think it's helpful to return to a Taoist awareness of the heart. In the physical world, the heart has the physical heart, the pump, and the pericardium, which is a sac that contains the heart. Its job, biologically, is to protect the heart. And it's important to understand this physiology because it is true energetically and it is true emotionally. So from Taoism, then, we have the Ling and the Shen. We have the Shen, which is the heart you present to the world. It's the you that you show people. And the Ling, which is the intimate heart, the heart that, own, that you communicate with alone. The important thing is that the Ling and the Shen need to be in constant direct communication. So the heart that you present out to the world, and there is that involves a certain kind of protection in that, that that self is aligned with the Ling, the true, deep, intimate heart. And so the Shen, the Shen heart, the external heart, the heart you present to the world, inherent in it is a kind of protection. And so when you visualize your energy body, you visualize that protection as a sphere around the heart in and of itself. That the quickest way to cripple an ecstatic heart is to give that heart the job of protecting itself. It's not the heart's job, not biologically, not energetically, not spiritually. That is our job to create in our energy body our heart protection. It is our job in our Shen that we present to the world to be protective of our heart. It is our pericardium's job biologically to protect the biological heart, that that this all needs to be consistent. And so the Shen is not only how we present in the world, but it's how we engage the choices that we make, the words that we use, the actions that we take. So I just realized that these shows are an expression of my Shen. 
this this way of engaging out there with the world. I'm a very introverted private person. But this this technology of these podcasts gives me the opportunity to reach out into the world to any of you who would want to listen. Many of you are in places in the world I would never visit. We would never know that each other exists. And so the podcasts become an expression of my shin. There is a certain protection inherent in it. I still get to be a private person. But I also get to share what, what is real and true in my heart. And this ignites that ecstatic nature of my heart. And so these podcasts are, are a shin expression. Now, the challenge with the podcasts has been to stay, keep them aligned with the ling, meaning that I don't make decisions that begin to affect the content of the shows or initially there was a challenge with the shows with a different producer where there was this huge financial burden around advertising that was crashing me financially and was going to corrupt the ling that the shows truly are about what matters to my heart intimately. That in many ways these shows are, are, are grossly exposing of me because it's sharing in the world what matters intimately in my heart. But, th- but the beauty of the choice now to be with co-creator, which is affordable, and to do the show as a show that is donation-based, that listeners are supporting, is it puts me in a position where the content, content is not influenced by outside forces. And so I can stay in good relationship with the ling, with the truth of my heart. And if the truth of my heart started creating podcasts nobody wanted to listen to, there'd you know, be no donations and the show would go away. And so it, it, it's about that exchange. But, it's, but the podcasts are an interesting example of the, the dynamic of the relationship between the ling and the shin. And the best shows, well, at least I think the best shows, The best shows are the shows where you can actually hear the Ling and the Shen in communication being expressed in the Shen of the show. Those are the best shows when the heart is on fire and what's being said is not expected, that the spirit is moving through. Those are the best shows. This is a really great example, actually, of Ling and Shen. So the important thing then about the Ling and your relationship with your Ling is that, is the question, is does your Ling trust you? Do you trust it? That's the big piece. And if there is no trust there at that intimate place in your own heart, then you can't access your heart memory. And so what's important about a basic shamanic practice is that you're helping spirits through relationship with them in altered states can teach you about intimacy so that you can come into intimate relationship with the ling spirit of your heart and fix that relationship. So when you've restored the relationship between Ling and Shen of your own heart, between you and the Ling, you and the Shen, and then the Ling and the Shen themselves, then your heart cannot be hijacked. And that was the whole point of that whole conversation is to get, how do you get to a place where your heart cannot be hijacked? Because if your heart can be hijacked, the ecstatic nature of your heart will be used and it will be used to create things When you look back at your life at the end, you're dead now, looking back at your life, you will regret the use of your heart in that way. And so it's really, really critically important that we live in a way that our heart cannot be hijacked. And this requires cultivating the quality of relationship with your own ecstatic heart that is trust-based, that you trust the ling, the ling trusts you, you trust your shen, your shen trusts you, and your ling and your shen trust each other. And in that process, you need to understand that a lot of things, a lot of healing processes need to be taken out of the silence of the journey and they need to be spoken. Your heart needs to hear you using the words that show it you are doing life differently. 
and your heart needs to feel you, your actions aligning with those words in your actions. And ultimately, your heart needs to feel your emotions, your healthy emotions coming into alignment with the words and the deeds. And so how do I know you have an ecstatic heart? Because you are human. You are wired in your nervous system for ecstasies from birth and your capacity for alternate states is your very nature. You, as a human, are shaped around a system designed to move infinite pleasures and the searing white-hot pain of burning in the beloved. You are designed for this. You are designed to feel the failures in life, the despair, the pain, the remorse, the agony that open us up to the greater intimacy with ourselves, the self that is locked behind those painful doors. And the challenge here in contemporary life is that most, most humans will feel this system The system that is designed for infinite pleasure and searing white hot burning of surrender. Most will fill that system with the sludge of their own suffering, the moldering old stories and the rot of selves long since having outlived their usefulness. So given that, how can this be a basic show about the beginning of a shamanic practice? Because this is where most people start their shamanic practice, with a system filled with the sludge of their suffering and the rot of old selves long since outlived, who have long since outlived their usefulness. This is where we start thrashing around in the sludge of our suffering and the heart's ecstatic need, its desperate attempts to gasp for a fresh breath of air and fresh life. This is basic because this is where you begin journeying. If you ask your questions well, you will receive disturbing answers. If you ask your questions well, even in beginning journeying, you will get answers that will make you cry deeply and feel wretched. And you will also get answers that show you how to climb out of that how to purge that system of the sludge of your suffering, how to purge your ecstatic system out of your moldering old stories that no longer serve you, and how to free your ecstatic self from the rot of these selves who have long since outlived their usefulness. The trainings of shamans does not create the ecstatic heart. It trains the human to use the heart he or she has been given in its full capacity to love life, to love all of it, and to burn in the fire of that love again and again. I was just reminded of this Saturday, basic journeying, bunch of people here, bunch of people crafting good questions, going into their first of a handful of journeys they'll ever take in their whole life, their first journeys, and coming out of the journeys disturbed, having seen things they don't quite know what to do with but can't put back in the box because they know somewhere that the answers are true. Our helping spirits aren't here to make us feel better. They're here to awaken us to the truth of what we are so that we can bring our gifts to the world. I mean, think about Iliade's great work, shamanism, archaic techniques of ecstasy. So a spiritual life is nothing but dogma dogma and deception without the heart's active presence. The heart's active presence will soon wander bored to death with you if you refuse to engage regularly and intimately with ecstasy. So what is your regular practice of ecstasy? This is the challenge question in this show. 
your heart needs you to answer this now. What is your regular practice of ecstasy? (coughs) And if you don't have one, you need to go find one. If you're a woman, you can work with jade eggs, shamanic practitioner, find a helping spirit that wants to take you on the journeys that will help you to flush out that system and open you to the ecstatic nature of your shamanic life. Ecstasy, the falling into the fire, naked, losing yourself to one surrender ecstasy. There is ecstasy that comes in union with our helping spirits. It is one of the great gifts of a spiritual life as shamanic practice. Usually, this union, this ecstatic union with spirit comes when we least expect it, when we're feeling wretched or despairing. There is necessary terror in igniting the ecstatic heart. You must be willing to burn who you are in any moment to keep the fire of true love burning at the core of your shamanic practice while you passionately engage the world. So I want to give thanks to the helping spirits that teach us of this sort of thing, even when humanity keeps forgetting it. And I give thanks for the ancestors for gathering round, the earth below, the sky above, and that heart that unites us all. Go away and do something this week that ignites your own ecstatic heart and enjoy it. Thank you, everyone, for listening.